Our Father, you told the Israelites in Deuteronomy that man does not live by grace alone, or does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from your mouth. And Lord, we, we look at that statement that the Lord Jesus repeated when he was tempted in the wilderness, and Lord, we do come to your word that is proceeded from your mouth in Psalm 119. Lord, we pray that you would bless this reading. Lord, we pray that as you desire to find hearts that are tilled and free of rocks and thorns and the worries of this world, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to do that work, that you spiritually would remove those things that cloud your word, that cloud our fellowship with you. Uh, we pray that you would do that work, that spade work, Lord, that uh, in our hearts where your, your word would find uh, a place where it can grow and germinate and continue to grow. Uh, Father, we thank you for this gift of your word. Would you help us to have ears that hear? For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now God's word from Psalm 119, starting in verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, for I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love." I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Then verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Thus far the reading of God's holy word would he bless this time and write its truths upon our hearts. Well, this is my first time ever preaching where I've brought, uh, in the teaching world, what we call realia. I'm not sure what else to call it, but I've brought, brought an object up with me into the pulpit. Some of you may have noticed or not, but uh, Brother Jim Atkinson gave me uh, this little book not too long ago. Uh, he's given me several books, but this one, uh, my mom and dad used to read Charles Spurgeon's devotions morning and evening for years, and Spurgeon is great, and this is the, the checkbook of, uh, checkbook in, in British writing here, check with a Q, but checkbook of the Bank of Faith, daily readings by Charles Spurgeon, and the reason I have this is we're going to be looking at God's promises uh, this morning in, in this section of Psalm 119, and uh, this is like a checkbook, and this is what Spurgeon is getting at with this is that there are promises 
all throughout God's word that the believer can take and can turn these promises or turn these portions of scripture into promises that they can take to God and cash in, if you will, uh, by faith. Uh, Some of you younger ones may not know what a checkbook is, but we used to have these things where you open them up and uh, write a check and and so forth. You've probably seen them before. They kind of look like this on the side. But anyway, this is a checkbook of faith. And again, the big point is that as we go to God's word, there are promises for us to take to God and go back to God and cash them in, so to speak, by saying and pleading with God, you've made this promise. Would you be faithful to keep your promises that you've made to me and that you've made to your people. As we continue in in this summer series through Psalm 119, uh, you may have noticed, if you didn't know already, that Psalm 119 is very long, uh, very long. It's the, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And you may notice also from week to week that a lot of themes, kind of like in Proverbs, uh, they repeat a lot. There's a lot of repetition uh, through the psalm. And uh, several themes repeat throughout the psalm as well. Things like God's faithfulness, uh, God's promises, the goodness of God's word. But also things like the psalmist's desire to keep God's word. Uh, The the psalmist wants to keep God's word. He he delights in it and he wants to keep it. Uh, But also, and we'll see this again today and we've seen this already, the psalmist's awareness as he tries to and desires to keep God's word, his awareness that he fails in keeping God's word, and his very acute awareness that unless God helps him uh, in his own strength, he does not have the ability to keep God's word. So you see uh, things in uh, the psalm, for instance, in the first, the first stanza in Aleph, if you have your Bible open, you can see back in verse 8 of the psalm, back when he's talked about Uh, God's word and how he wants to keep God's word and blessed are those who keep and then you get to verse 8 and all of a sudden I will keep your statutes so he's made this promise but then he says do not utterly forsake me you wonder where on earth does that come from how does that follow I'm going to keep your statutes don't forsake me Uh, it's again he's aware that without God's grace he won't keep God's statutes he needs God to uphold him and keep him so that's what he's calling on God to do there you know, again, while this psalm is long, and we're going through uh, two stanzas this morning, uh, this, this psalm in many ways is, is like a diamond uh, that you take and hold up to the sun, and you hear this metaphor a lot, but it's true. You look at It's one diamond, but you're looking at it from different angles, and from each angle that you look at it, you, you notice a different facet of it, and, uh, and that's really what the psalmist does as he goes through all the letters of the, the Hebrew alphabet and uh, looks at different facets of God's, God's word. And we're going to see this morning uh, two different aspects as we look at two stanzas. Uh, the first one in verses 41 through 48. Uh, you may notice it looks like wow or something like that. Uh, I, I was taught uh, vav, but then I was taught wow. And I, so we're going to go with wow. That's how we say it is wow. We don't really know how the Hebrews pronounced the vowels back then, but we're going to say wow for 41 through 48. And then we're going to look at the second stanza, Zion, uh, 49 through verse 40, I'm sorry, 56. And so we start off by looking at the wow uh, stanza. We're going to look at two aspects in particular there. 
and the wow stanza again. That's that's letters 41, I'm sorry, verses 41 through 48. And the two aspects uh, of this particular portion of this stanza uh, are going to be uh, a plea for God to be faithful. Again, a plea for God to be faithful, that God will be faithful to his word. And this leads to the psalmist calling on God to be faithful, calling on God to keep the promises that he's made to his word. We're going to see it explicitly here in this portion, this particular stanza in Psalm 119. And then we're going to see again, as I said, the the themes repeat. There's not really much new in this particular stanza, but we're going to see him focusing then on his resolute desire to keep God's commandments. The psalmist loves God's word, and he wants to keep God's commandments. He wants to be faithful and obedient and walk in God's ways. So we'll see that leads into, again, just like in in the Aleph, the first stanza, this calls on him to ask God to to preserve him, uh, to give him help. So again, he turns to God's promises and asks and, and turns this into a promise and asks God to be faithful to keep him. And then again, we'll uh, briefly look at Zion, uh, this 49 through 56 stanza, uh, where we see that the believer, the psalmist here, uh, focuses on the comfort that we can have, the focus that a believer can have, and really anybody in the world. But the only absolutely sure, certain, firm foundation that cannot change uh, is God's word and God's Uh, promises. And in particular, the situation in verses 49 through 56 is that of suffering and facing uncertainty. So facing uncertainty and the thing that we can turn to and have absolute 100% confidence will not fail is God's promises. God's word teaches us that God cannot lie. Uh, that's completely contrary to who he is. God is faithful. God is true. And if he makes a promise, you can be 100% certain that God is going to keep that promise. So, again, that's what we're going to look at in uh, the psalm this morning. So we're starting off, again, with a wow. And, again, the, the psalm is really amazing. Each uh, word, each stanza in each line, I'm sorry, in this particular stanza, verses 41 through 48, Starts with the sound, the, the W sound. Uh, and so he goes through each one of those. And the same thing with Zion. It's just the beginning of each letter starts with a Z sound. Uh, so we'll look here at this particular stanza, the wow one, and look at God's promises and a plea for God to be faithful right here at the beginning. You know, as, as we start, uh, just... You may have heard before that God's promises are sometimes likened to ammunition. Uh, You may have heard them before as ammunition for prayer. I think that is a good good metaphor for God's promises. It gives us something to pray, to pray God's promises. Now, we are to cast our cares upon God. We are to let our needs be known to God, but... If you want to know how you can prevail with God in prayer, and you want to know, I I don't know if this is God's will or not, well, we need to know God's promises. The Puritans and others used to talk about pleading the promises, going to God and pleading, asking him to be faithful and keep his promises. There's one 
technically he was an Anglican, but a Puritan pastor back in the 1600s, William Gurnall, wrote the famous The Christian in the Complete Armor of God. And he had this to say about pleading or taking God's promises and praying them back to God, which I, I think is an excellent statement. He said, prayer is nothing but the promise reversed. Or God's word formed into an argument and retorted by faith upon God again. So again, God's promises reversed. That you take God's promises and you turn them into, uh, into an argument. Uh, this is using the, the law court. I'm looking for the counselor back there. But you're going to God, and this is pleading your case is what they say. Take your case before God where you're going, and not to somebody who doesn't like you and is begrudging, but you're going to one who wants you to take his promises back to him and show him, you said this, you said you were going to do this. Take that back to God, and then you can have a strong assurance that you will prevail with God in prayer. And again, we see that uh, this morning in this portion of Psalm 119. As we look here in the text itself, we see in verse 41, that God's love, or his steadfast love, as the ESV puts it, uh, makes its appearance for the first time in this psalm. Verse 41 says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Now, some of you may have heard before that this word, steadfast love, is a Hebrew word, chesed. It's got, it's, has that C at the front, so it doesn't start with an H, but a C when we make, put it in English, so... That means to put that little throaty thing in there, the chesed. Uh, But it's an extremely important word in the Bible. It's used constantly in the Old Testament, and it's used in the New Testament as well, chesed. And it refers to, yes, God's, as they put here, steadfast love, but really it's his covenantal faithfulness. It's his covenantal faithfulness, and, and it's tied to the idea, not just that, God is faithful in general, or that God is good, of course, that's true, but to the fact that God has made promises, God has made statements. For instance, back in in Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and as God is speaking to the the serpent, and he promises, or he makes a statement, it's just, it's not really a, a promise per se, but he makes a statement that one of the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Uh, that can be turned into a promise and telling God in his faithfulness that, would you do that? Would you crush the head of the devil? As you promised, you said that you would. You were going to do it. Again, it gives us ammunition for our prayers when we know God's word. We know his promises, but his word in particular. And the thing about Spurgeon, what he doesn't hear, you read, they're not ordinarily something that you'd read and say, that's a promise, like, I will be with you, you know, will not leave you or forsake you. Of course, that's a promise. There are other things here, you wonder, how in the world is Spurgeon going to turn that into a promise? But he does a pretty good job at it, usually, and uh, he can take pretty much anything and turn it into a promise of God. But they're legit promises of things God promises to do, and he turns them into promises uh, for us to then appropriate by faith. But God... Uh, is called on here for his covenantal faithfulness. It's his faithfulness to keep his promises, and that's what here the psalmist is doing in verse 41. You are the covenant God, the God of the Bible. You've made promises, and in verse 41, let your chesed, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation 
according to your promise. God has made us lots of promises. We see here the greatest promise of all for us is the salvation that God has promised us. You know, Becky and I have been here in James now for about three years. We came in July of 2020. Does that make it three? I always with the years because sometimes they're add-ins. I'm, anyway, we've been here for three years, and we came in July three years ago. And as, you know, I, I, we're starting to get to know people in Dillon better and so forth, but <clears throat> the one thing uh, that is uh, I'm getting to know people and, and their needs and so forth more, and that, that's great as we start to feel more like we fit in more and, and so forth, and we have needs and so forth, but um, I don't know all of you that well. One thing I do know, however, is that everybody in here this morning, whether the children in here or those of us who are older or those of us who are a lot older, uh, we're all sinners who need to be reconciled to God. We need salvation. That is something that all human beings, regardless of their age and their race and their ethnicity and their socioeconomic background and their uh, whatever sex they are, male and female, um, we all have that in common. We're made in God's image, and we all need to be saved. We're all apart from God. And again, there is a promise, the most glorious in the world. We even read in John 3.16 earlier that God gave his son that we would not be condemned, that we would not perish ultimately, but that we would be reconciled through Christ, that we would be saved, that we would have eternal life through the Lord. So he again calls on God to save him. Now, salvation can be pretty broad in the Bible. It doesn't only have to mean our eternal salvation, not going to hell, being with God. And here in Psalm 119, uh, it seems that what he's talking about is is persecution, that he's being taunted or persecuted uh, by somebody else. If you look at verse 42, after he asks for God's salvation, that he pleads with God, he says, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And as you continue throughout the psalm, especially as we get to the next stanza, we see that he is being persecuted and facing difficulty, but he's praying for God for his help. I've, I've heard before, and I think it's true, one of the most basic prayers, and maybe the most basic prayer uh, when we're asking for something for anybody is, you know, you get people that say, I, I don't feel comfortable praying, I don't know what to pray. Um, I think the prayer that I pray more than anything is just, help, help me. Lord, I need your help. Um, you know, we are utterly dependent on God for everything. And that's the way it should be. As, as a parent, as a father, and as we have many parents and mothers and fathers in here, I mean, we love when our children come to us and ask for help when they actually need help, or our grandchildren. Uh, we want to help them. And again, he's asking that God would help him, that God would deliver him from this one particular situation. So he asked for God, for his hesed, uh, to be faithful, to help him. I think a good example of this in the Bible <clears throat> comes from back in the book of Genesis with Jacob. And you probably know the, the story, but just briefly in case uh, we need some refreshing. Remember that Jacob is, and that's my middle name, but Jacob is uh, a deceiver. He's deceitful. Uh, he grabs on to his brother's ankle when he's being born because he wants to be the firstborn. And then he 
kind of takes advantage of Esau, who is a godless man, the Bible tells us, but he does really take advantage of him later on. And then he definitely deceives his father, Isaac, when it's time for Isaac to bless the firstborn. And he thinks that Esau is coming in, and it's actually Jacob that by his mom has been helped, and he's dressed up like his brother and pretends to be his brother. And Isaac, of course, eventually blesses Jacob, the younger brother, with the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn. Now, of course, Jacob has to flee. Uh, his mother tells him to flee, and, and God lets him know to flee later on as well, because Esau's going to kill him. So he flees far away. And 20 years about, or almost 20 years have passed, and now God tells him, it's time to go back. It's time for you to go back to that land. I had you flee for a while, but go back to the land that I called you in. Go back to the land that I promised to give to Abraham and to your father, and I will give to you as well. So God has told him to, and he starts heading back. And as he heads back, and of course in his mind is, I'm still going back to see my brother Esau. Uh, as he comes closer, he hears that Esau is coming to meet him. Again, if, if you don't know the story, he also hears that Esau is coming, and he's got 400 horsemen with him. So I, I don't think this is the great, let's welcome Jacob back party and have a big party with all my warriors and everything. This is, they're coming to kill uh, Jacob. And Jacob is terrified. And, of course, Jacob does what we should do. And, unfortunately, what it sometimes takes for us to actually turn to the Lord in prayer, and I include myself, but is he's, he feels like he's going to die. He's in dire straits here. So Jacob goes to the Lord in prayer, and this is from Genesis chapter 32, but this is what Jacob prays. And, again, he pleads God's promises he goes back to what God had promised him, God had told him to do, and said, look, Lord, I'm doing what you've told me to do. And he says, please be faithful. You've told me to do this. So this is what Jacob actually says. He prays and he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, let's remind him, you said this, Lord, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He confesses his unworthiness and his sin here. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love, has said again, and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, now I've become two camps. Now he gets to his actual prayer in verse 11 of Genesis 32. He says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. And then he says again in verse 12, But you said, talking to God, But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob, I think this is a model prayer for us. He's going to God. He's scared. He's struggling. But he knows God has promised him certain things. God, again, had just showed up to him again about a week before this and told him, it's time for you to head back, and I will be with you, and I'm going to take you back. He had promised him beforehand. You know, these covenants with Abraham and Isaac now coming down to Jacob that this line was going to continue through him, through their children and grandchildren and so forth. Of course, Jacob becomes Israel. Uh, and now he, it looks like God's not going to keep his promise. What is going on? I'm going to meet my brother I thought maybe he would just come and maybe just him. Now there's 400 men with him. I'm, I'm assuming Jacob is thinking these things. 
And he goes to God and says, you've promised these things. Uh, Lord, remember your promise. Help me. And he's already said that he's scared. I don't think this is a grumbling, sinful prayer. I think this is a prayer that's actually pleasing to God. What he wants us to do is to take his promises and take them seriously and go to him and say, Lord, you have promised that you're going to do this. And I know you're good. Would you keep your promises? And of course, if you know uh, the story, as, as Jacob then comes to him and as he sends gifts and so forth, Esau eventually comes and, and falls on his neck and hugs him and, and so forth. And it's a miracle that Esau does not kill him. Uh, but it's by God's grace. Again, Matt has said before that he thinks uh, that his favorite book that he's ever read by Dr. Kelly is If God Knows, or If God Knows Everything, Why Pray? And as Presbyterians, we know that God not only knows everything, God actually has determined everything. Uh, so I think we can use that as an excuse uh, not to pray. We probably don't go around and tell people, uh, I don't pray because I know God knows everything and who cares? He's going to do it. Um, But I think we can use it as an excuse for laziness and other things. I certainly can. God's going to keep me. I'm one of his. Um, God ordains the ends, absolutely. He has determined the end, but he's also ordained the means. We are to pray. We are to go to God and ask him to do these things. And he goes to God and he asks him to keep his word, and he does. And he comes there safely back to the land. So for us, if you want to have confidence in prayer, if you really want to go to God in prayer, and uh, unfortunately sometimes this doesn't happen until we're really struggling, but we really want to, as they used to say, do business with God. You want to interact with God. Uh, Pray his promises back to him. Uh, Then you can have absolute confidence that this is God's will. God will do this. We need to know God's promises and pray them back to God. We need to learn them, what God's promises are, and then pray them back to them. So if you're struggling with something, maybe it's patience. You can go to the Lord, turn this into a prayer that one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And go to the Lord, Lord, I struggle with being patient. Lord, your word says one of the fruit of your spirit, one of the outworkings of your spirit in me is patience. I want to go in there and blow up uh, as a teacher or as a parent or whatever, just as a human being with myself, unfortunately more with others, but you want to blow up. Lord, you know I'm going to do this. You go to God and you ask him, please give me the grace to be patient because you cannot be patient on your own. That is part of the spirit's work to be patient. But that is something you know that is God's will for you, is to be patient. It's part of, if you know God's word, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be kind, you want to be gentle, you want to be self-controlled. All those things. Ask God to work those things in you. Because that is his will for you to do that. Now we continue on in our psalm to see that the psalmist has a resolute desire to keep God's word. He, He wants to keep God's word. I talk to uh, at the Christian school sometimes to the kids about foxhole prayers. And they usually don't know what a foxhole is. Sometimes from playing things like Call of Duty or other video games, they might know what it is. But we used to talk about foxhole prayers, right? So when you're in a real dire situation and uh, you're scared, real scared, and even people who are not Christians usually, I say, you know a prayer you make to God when, you know, Lord, if you'll just do this, 
you know, whatever it is, I will do this, 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 I'll go to church, I'll do this, I'm going to be the best at this, just please get me out of this one particular situation. Pretty much everybody in the class, whether they're uh, somebody who faithfully attends church as a professing believer or somebody who is openly not a believer, they'll pretty much say, like, yeah, I've done that before, I've done it a million times. And I can't count how many times I did that uh, when I was a kid as well and how many times I'm, I'm uh, tempted to do that now as a believer as well. But this is not a foxhole prayer here that that the psalmist is praying in Psalm 41. I'm sorry, in stanza 41 through 48. If you look, he talks about wanting to keep God's word as you continue uh, in the psalm. And, and the way that I know that this is not him just saying, Lord, save me, and then I'll, in, in response I'll do this and this, you know, it's kind of tit-for-tat thing. You do this for me, Lord, then I'll be obedient. I'll start giving to the church. I'll start serving. I'll doing whatever. But the reason is, unless he's lying, but this is inspired by God. So in verses 47 and 48, it's what he says about God's word. And this is his heart towards God's word and why, why he wants to keep God's word. In verses 47 and 48, he says that he finds his delight in his commandments. He delights in God's word. He wants to follow God. And right after he says, which I love, speaking of God's commandments, I delight in your commandments, which I love. Not, Lord, I'll, if you do this for me, I'll go do those things that I can't stand doing, that are boring, that are pointless and whatever else, but I'll do them, you know, this is the little deal we're going to make here, get me out of this and I'll do this. He wants to keep God's commands. And again, he loves them. And God's commands to the regenerate heart are something we still have our flesh say, oh, no, you know, God just wants to make you not have fun. He wants to keep you from all the good. That's what Christianity is. That's not what it is. It's our God who created us, showing us how to walk as children of God, showing us how we were created to walk. Uh, you know, I, I was very much an outsider. You know, my wife and I moving from out west and the dreaded California where I was born, and I still contrary to what some now graduated seniors say, I don't bring that up all the time unless it's necessary. But, um, but leaving Sodom, so to speak, and heading over here and then living in North Carolina and then coming to South Carolina, actually, I remember my neighbors, the Brits, and uh, when I first moved there and, and they had a, a dog uh, back then, and I remember seeing him and I said, oh, I could tell it was a spaniel of some sort, but so what kind of dog is that? And, and Dustin said, it's a boykin. And I had no clue what a boykin was. And I love dogs. I mean, you can show me, like, the most random dog from the highlands of Portugal or something. I'll be like, oh, that's the Cow de Sao Miguel, like, whatever. And, uh, but I had never heard of a, of a boykin spaniel before. But I do know what a boykin is now, and I see him everywhere, and I have for a while. And I know that boykins were bred or made, really, to be retrieval hunting dogs. Uh, when you hunt birds in particular, I'm looking at Mr. Kent to see if he's going to shake his head. No, he's giving me the thumbs up. So, um, but they were bred, they're a working dog. And that's why a lot of times when I see people and they're like, oh, I'm just going to have them in the backyard. And there's probably people here right now with that, so I'm not. But I know a, a dog with high energy, a working dog, is bred to work. It's bred to be out there and do what is bred to do. So a boykin does not find it's freedom in somebody just taking it and letting it out on the street by south of the border and saying, to see you later, Fen, you're free now. Go have fun. Uh, that's not what a Boykin uh, Spaniel was, was 
made to do. That's not why they were created. What freedom would be for, for the Boykin is to have the perfect owner who goes hunting, who does all this stuff, and takes them with them, and they're working, and they're doing what they were created to do. So freedom's not this just, I'm off on my own and, and make my own decisions. There's nobody telling me to do anything. It's doing what they were bred to do, what they were made to do. Well, it's the same thing in the Bible with human beings. God created us not just for us to walk around the earth and say, well, I'm free now. There's no chains on me, no restrictions. I do what I want. Um, That is not where a human being is going to find freedom. That's where we try to find freedom. That's where we, uh, if we're an unbeliever, but even for those of us who are believers, by God's grace, that's where we still try to find freedom is, I'm going to go do my own thing. You know, I'm free now. I call the shots. Well, that's not how God created us, and you're not going to find genuine freedom. That is not what the Bible speaks of when it talks about freedom. Similar to the Boykin, we need to have a master, but an absolutely perfect master who gives us and shows us what we're made to do. And that's what God and his commandments does for us. And of course, again, we have our flesh, we have our own sinful minds, and we have the devil as well telling us, you know, being obedient to God, that's, that's not where you're going to find freedom. And it's a fight, but that is where a human being finds freedom, is walking in God's ways. That's where we find joy, that's where we find genuine happiness, peace, is in walking in God's ways. So he has a desire to follow God's ways because he knows that they're right, and he loves God's ways, and he asks God to help him to follow God's ways. So we've seen pleading God's promises. We've seen a resolute desire to keep God's word. And now in this last stanza in verses 49 through 56, this Zion uh, stanza, we see the believer's relationship to God and his word in suffering or hardship. So when we're going through difficult times, times of uncertainty, the relation we should have with God. We really should at all times, but particularly in times of difficulty and uncertainty and even suffering. And C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for some of you rising fifth graders that need to read that, and I'm glad they need to read this good book for them to read before fifth grade starts. Uh, he said this about pain. And you may know C.S. Lewis was not married until later in his life, and then his wife died shortly after they were married. And he said this about pain or suffering. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. And he does. When you go and you go on vacation and it's beautiful weather and uh, you eat a good meal and you just have fun doing whatever, praise God for that. Don't think you're being bad. That's, you know, enjoying this is wrong. No, no, no. You You go to the Flamingos game and you enjoy it and have fun. And it's funny when the people get out there and do whatever and the kids like that. Praise God for that. Uh, So, but he says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. He says, but he shouts in our pain. That God shouts to us in our pain. And then speaking of the world, he says, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Is pain. Uh, That gets our attention when other things don't. Pain does. Well, we see this here in this stanza of, of, uh, Psalm 119, starting verse 49, we see again the psalmist begins by calling on the Lord to, to remember his promises. 
Look at verse 49. He tells God, remember. Okay, and again, this is in what's called importunate prayer, going to God over and over and over. You're being, uh, you're not giving up, like the persistent widow. And again, verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. He's going to God and saying, remember what you have caused me to hope in. Do not forget. And again, it's not as if God has forgotten, but we're trying to really get God to act. I'm struggling. I need your help now. It continues on throughout the stanza to stress stress what his his, what his comfort was, his consolation in his distress. You know, in the world now, we, and in our flesh, we run to gossip with other people. And, you know, that's, I think, in place of a real thing, like going to a brother and sister and, and talking to them and doing before God, but instead we'll do it in a sinful way. You know, we'll run to substances uh, that can help numb the pain, or we'll turn to some new thing or whatever, or uh, but things that are never really going to give lasting and concrete, certain comfort. And we see here what he finds his comfort in is, is in God himself, but in God's word. Look at verse 50. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Again, God's promises are what give him comfort. Because that is the thing, no matter what, that cannot change. That is what can never fail in this world. You know, we talk about death and taxes. Well, not everybody will die. Uh, Christ is going to return at some point, and those people will not die. And taxes, I don't think, are going to continue on in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, God's promises are that which is absolutely certain. Uh, Again, but if you look at verses 52, it says, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord, when you see law and rules, um, sometimes people will go like David or the psalmist is just thinking of, of the Ten Commandments. I think he's thinking of all of, particularly the Old Testament, particularly all of the first five books of the Bible. Uh, just God's word is what we can think of when we see that. Again, if you look in verse 54, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So he's, he's struggling. He's going through a difficult time. And what he's turned to now is the one thing he can trust in is God's word, uh, because that will not fail him. Again, in verse 55, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. He's been going through a trial. He's been suffering. Perhaps he was taken by surprise by something that happened. Uh, We see in, in, in the psalm, in this stanza, in verses 51 and 53, that it refers to the wicked that are deriding him, and, and he refers to them as those uh, who forsake God's law. So it'd be unbelievers, most likely, that he's facing here. And in this situation, it's probably people within the community in Israel. So people who are, who are not you know, pagan other people, but probably people perhaps at one time, or at one time were, if this was David or if this is somebody else who wrote the psalm, but somebody who has turned their back against God and has turned against him who are causing this trial. And he goes to the one place that he can find absolute certainty again, which is God himself. You know, I feel almost strange saying this because it's said so often now, but we live in uncertain times. The thing is, we really do. Uh, You know, when I was younger and I'd hear parents or anything say that, oh, come on, you say that all the time. 
But we really do live in uncertain times right now. Uh, and, you know, if, if politics is our ultimate, ultimate source of security, you know, we'll, we'll look at what the Supreme Court has done recently and probably be excited. Things are going great and awesome. There's no, no, nothing wrong with uh, looking at good decisions being made in government and, you know, if the economy ever gets better and, and not praising God for those things. We should. Uh, but we always need to keep in mind that is not in any way whatsoever right now certain. That can change and probably will by tomorrow. Uh, you, anything good you find in the news, you're going to find some really horrible stuff there as well. And if it doesn't start tomorrow, we'll just wait for another day because it's going to come up at some point. It's very uncertain. But again, that which is utterly certain is God's word and his promises. Um, again, another thing I don't like to bring up as often, cause, just because I do a lot, I don't care at all, but uh, I'm a nervous flyer. Pastor Matt always says he's a nervous flyer, and I don't believe him. Because I've been on flights with them before, and Matt's just there being Matt, laughing the whole plane, nose Matt by the time you showed up, whatever. And they're like, oh, we know, what you, we know Matt. We met him on the plane. He's the guy, the southern guy that's just walking around and jovial and whatever. Um, and by the grace of God, I really am getting a lot better at flying. But uh, what I had to come to the point at some point where, you know, I know how safe flying is, and it really is. And uh, I know that I'm more likely to die in a car crash and all that. Uh, however, I am still, you know, the weather's perfect, uh, got the pilots over here, uh, the weather's perfect, and I'm just going on a short little flight, the brand new airplane, Airbus or Boeing, which one's better? Okay, I'm going, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. So I'm, I got the, uh, I remember another pilot telling me that before at my church in Charlotte, but, uh, but I'm on a Boeing with an experienced pilot and all that. Uh, you know, I'm, my attention and everything is going to go way down. I might actually start to look forward to this flight like I used to when I was a kid. But, uh, but the thing is, even with that, it is still not absolutely guaranteed. I can't say I know for 100% positive that everything's going to go all right. Now, most likely it is. I'm not trying to uh, frighten anybody here. Uh, but I know no matter what, no matter what happens... Uh, in any situation in my life, any situation in your life, from the most mundane thing to the most life-changing, cataclysmic thing that could possibly happen in your life, God will be absolutely faithful to his promises. He cannot. That is where I can say, I don't care if it's tornadoes and everything else going on. We're on an Airbus this time. Whatever's going on, and somebody else is flying... God, it cannot fail. God's promises are the Airbus. They cannot fail. They can't. God cannot fail. God cannot fail but be faithful to his promises. So, with all this being the case, we know that the Bible teaches that all the promises of God are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. All the promises of God. Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians. All of God's promises are yea and amen. If you're a Christian... You know God's promises. You go to him. In Christ, we have these promises of being with God, of not needing to fear death if we're believers, of being reconciled to God, of having this, this great master who knows what we were created for because he created us and has that for us, of being able to walk and live with him forever in that fellowship with other believers. What we need to do is be like Spurgeon here 
and go to God and go to his promises and, and cash them in, know them and go to God and plead with him to be faithful, to keep us, to keep his promises to us. So by God's grace, would we, would we be those who go to him? And I was, you can tell I was about to end right there. I just want to say, take, I promise you, a couple seconds. One thing, when we read God's word, I just want to remind everybody, we read God's word, and you probably realize, what about me, the one who fails in keeping God's word? Should I just walk out of here right now feeling terrible because I fail in keeping God's word? Um, part of feeling conviction when we fail, and we all fail, uh, is realizing that's not what makes us right with God. What makes us right with God is Jesus, who never failed in keeping God's promises. So I don't want you to leave and say, this, is just, this sermon is about keeping God's word and keeping his promises, but I'm bad in my prayer life and other stuff, so it's another do this, do, 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 do. No, Christ kept it perfectly. You've been adopted in that family if you're a believer. Now, out of gratitude, not to make yourself a Christian, but out of gratitude, we seek to keep this. But we realize we fail. We go back. We ask for forgiveness. We seek to be faithful. But as God, is Christ himself who makes us right with God because he never failed. And it's his righteousness that rescues us. So praise be to God. We do not need to rely on our own faithfulness, but God's. And again, let us go to him and ask him to be faithful in keeping his word. So let's go to him in prayer. I told you that would be short. <clears throat> Lord, we do thank you and give praise, Lord, that there is something in this world that we know 100% of the time it is absolutely impossible for it to fail is you. Uh, Lord, when we know your word, when we know your actual promises, when we read your word correctly, Lord, and, and realize what you really have promised, and again, as we even read in John three sixteen, Father, that you gave Jesus, who came and lived and died, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, Lord. Those of us who deserve and are on the way, we already are spiritually dead now, that we don't need to eternally perish because Jesus was given, because he went and lived in our place and he died in our place, Lord, that we can have eternal life by trusting in him. We thank you that your promises are 100% certain. Lord, may we always remember that. May we remember that our, our standing with you is based on Jesus. We receive that by trusting in him alone. And Lord, then that our life is lived by seeking to be faithful, Lord, knowing that is where the good path is for us. Um, Lord, again, realizing, though, that that is not uh, what earns us our standing with you, Jesus did. Um, Lord, so again, thank you that you're one we can always rely on. Uh, would you be with us and receive our thanks? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.